Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study, the 7 a.m. meeting. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater presently in Vermont. And today is Friday, September 1st, 2017. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter Working with Others. We are on page 91. We will be reading three paragraphs, starting with the first paragraph, usually the family should not try, and ending with get him to tell some of his. And we will be taking comments on all three. And today's readers are The Twelve Steps, Barbara E., Twelve Traditions, Linda R. Our text readers are Katie F., Julie R., Lauren N., our newcomer greeter today is Kathy M., and the host for the second hour is Dion R. And the reference number, the share ID for yesterday, Thursday, August 31st, the 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10,370-10370. And the share ID for yesterday is 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time Meeting is 10,371-10371. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strengths, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Barbara E. to read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. Thank you, Monica, for allowing me to do this service. This is Barbara E. Step one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible 
except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice, practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for allowing me to do this service. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. I will now ask Linda R. to read the 12 traditions for us, please. Good morning. This is Linda R. recovered in North Carolina. 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such or it never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Linda R. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but... We ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted.
So today, we're resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, Working with Others. We are on page 91 and paragraph 1, and we will be reading three paragraphs. So we're going to start with, usually the family should not try to tell your story, and ending with, get him to tell some of his. And comments will be taken on all three paragraphs this morning. And with that, I'm going to ask KDF if she would read for us, please. Good morning. This is KDF, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Usually, the family should not try to tell your story. When possible, avoid meeting a man through his family. Approach through a doctor or an institution is a better bet. If your man needs hospitalization, he should have it, but not forcibly unless he is violent. Let the doctor, if he will, tell him he has something in the way of a solution. When your man is better, the doctor might suggest a visit from you. Though you have talked with the family, leave them out of the first discussion. Under these conditions, your prospect will see he is under no pressure. He will feel he can deal with you without being nagged by his family. Call on him while he is still jittery. He may be more receptive when depressed. See your man alone, if possible. At first, engage in general conversation. After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. You will thus get a better idea of how you ought to proceed. If he is not communicative, Give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit, but say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. If he is in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades. Get him to tell some of his. And again, I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia, and, you know, I can't um, make it up that I have had the kind of experience where I'm working with a family and visiting hospitals and um, talking to doctors, but I have had um, experience with uh, reaching out to someone who was in the rooms and them telling me that their family had written on a, on the, you know, family communication board, call Katie meaning me, because I had been their sponsor and they were in relapse. So, you know, the family is um, very invested in in the person recovering, even though we we tend to think that our disease is only affecting us, that we're not hurting anybody else. So what's the big deal? I just had this little eating problem. Um, And but this is, you know, telling us that we need to identify in. And to identify, help the person, whoever the person is, if it's you know a newcomer on the line or if it's uh, someone you know in your life um, that seems miserable with their food. You know, it's I, there's there's this couple that drive. I don't know if they're a couple or a brother or sister or what they are, but they weigh four or five hundred pounds. They can barely. Um, reach the steering wheel of their car because they have to sit so far back and they drive around and around um, near my office. I see them all the time and I have no idea, you know, 
why they're there. I mean, what they're doing. But, um, you know, I just wish that I could, you know, say, stop the car and say there's a solution, you know, but of course I can't do that. I mean, that's just not what, what we do. And that's not what would have worked for me. Um, I had to be so badly mangled that I, you know, was looking for help and that I was finally to the point of being willing to do whatever I was told to do. And, you know, this whole chapter working with others, you know, the point is we want to help others, but the, real point is that I need to stay sober myself. So I need to stay in recovery. And by sharing my story, sharing my example, sharing um, all of these things that have happened to me and, you know, hopefully being able to share what then happened that changed my life, I will never forget what it was like and will always remember that I am, um, I am one of you. I am a person who you know, has the potential to weigh 400 pounds. Um, And it's not just the weighing the 400 pounds because the reality is when I was in the, uh, in my disease, I wanted to have the nerve to drive off the road, but I didn't. Um, With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, KDF. And we're going to open up here and who would like to share. We're sharing, taking comments on the first three paragraphs on page 91. Nessa R. Nessa. Katie. Larry. Ooh. Larry K. All right. Melissa, Melissa, Larry. Okay. Was Nessa, Katie, I missed two of you that were before Larry, Melissa. Reva P. Reva. Okay. Reva P. and Sue G. All right. You're not going to be in order, but you're on the list. Anyone else? Okay. This is what I've got. Nessa R, Katie G, Reva P, Larry K, Melissa C, Sue G. Nessa, it's your turn. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Nessa R. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And uh, what called to me this morning was the phrase, no pressure. Um, You know, I don't know about you, but uh, I experienced a lot of pressure. Probably most of us on this line have. I experienced pressure from my father, from my sister, from my husband, my doctor, you know, and on and on and on. And, you know, all their arguments and all their reasoning was very, very valid. You know, they made, they made very good arguments, very logical, but that made no difference. That made no difference. You know, it all went in one ear and out the other. It was all frothy emotional appeal. Um, you know, this is what we've been talking about uh, this whole week, you know, a man convinced against his will is of the same mind still. And so, um, you know, this is the only disease where the patient has to diagnose himself until I diagnose myself as a hopeless compulsive overeater. And I was desperate enough to um, want to work this program despite um, what everybody else said. Um, nothing could happen. Nothing could happen. And, you know, and I must say that, you know, even when I came into the rooms, I still wasn't there. I still wasn't there. I still wasn't willing to do um, everything that you guys were doing, all you recovered people were doing. And, you know, it took a lot more eating and a lot more suffering for me to, um, 
for me to get to this point. And, you know, we cannot make a person willing. Only the person himself or herself can get to that point. You know, um, I, um, I see a lot of people here who, who struggle the way I have struggled. You know, people who get abstinent, um, work the steps, you know, up to some point and then pick up again. Um, and it's very, very discouraging, not only for for the people themselves, but for those around us who watch um, this, it's, it's very painful to watch this. And I, I lived it. I lived it for nine years inside the rooms, you know, and the pressure started to come too from inside the rooms. And it all, again, was a frothy emotional appeal. Nothing really helped until I decided I've had enough. You know, when I decided I had enough, and that was because I saw I guess for the first time, I guess God opened my eyes. I saw a person in whom the problem had been solved, not just the weight problem, but the life problem. That made me see um, how really miserable my life was and what was possible to make of my life. And then I wanted it. And there was no amount of pressure that would have ever convinced me of that. Otherwise, I had to come to that on my own. Um, And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Katie G, it's your turn, then it'll be Reva P. Good morning, Miss Monica. Can I be heard? Yes. Awesome. Hey, guys, Katie G, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, Anorexic and Bulimic, and I'm starting my timer. I guess I was sitting here thinking about, like, what's the difference, right? Like, what's the difference between having parents and teachers tell me, Katie, you need to eat. You'll look like you're dead. You'll look like you're dying from cancer. You'll look like you're an AIDS patient. Just eat. Um, and, and, and then trying to convey to them the inner death that I was feeling, that I had spent my whole life obsessed, obsessed, obsessed with a few things, right? My body, believing that if I could just get to a certain body weight, I would be okay. Believing that food would fix it. Believing that somehow I would be okay and comfortable in my skin if everything else in the world would be okay. And then believing I could just get a diet to fix it. And there is something so magical. It is this magical me too factor. I don't know what it is. But when I get on the phone and another woman says to me, Katie, I used to suffer from exercise addiction. I used to, you know, get in my car at four in the morning, driving in the middle of a snowstorm to get to the gym so that I could exercise, so that I could fit into the clothes, so that I could do it like over and over and over again. And no, we don't, we don't focus on the problem, right? I get it. But this first conversation in which recovered women came to me and said, yes, Katie, I understand what it's like to be so obsessed with your body weight that you're pulling the scale off the ba- across the bathroom floor, begging God to not let it weigh a certain amount or chewing so much gum because you don't want to put on weight. Um, and all the lengths that I went to within this program you know, to be the thinnest woman in the world because I believe that I would only be okay if I was the thinnest woman in the world. And the reason that is different is because when all the doctors and all you guys were telling me, like, they were coming from a place that I knew, I could tell. I was like, you don't get it. 
but something phenomenally shifted in me. The willingness came from me. When I saw you guys, your lights were on and you were telling my story and I could tell because I was like, I was like, they're telling my story, but there's something different. And I have to say that that is what continues to happen to me on a regular basis. Thank God it's not about the food. Thank God it's not about the body weight. But as I crash and burn in other human frailties that I have, women share with me, yes, I have been there. I have been there, and I'm not there anymore. And they instill what? H-O-P-E, which gives me the willingness and desperation to say, help me, tell me what to do. I'm going to keep showing up with you guys one more day, and with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie G. Reva P., it's your turn, and then it'll be Larry K. Good morning. This is Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. A couple of things struck me in these paragraphs. The first paragraph is a huge remember when for me in terms of approach through a doctor because when I was very sick and ended up in the hospital, um, the doctor had an, an orange piece of paper and on it was the name Overeaters Anonymous with the phone number and I'm realizing more and more how, um, how, what of a miracle that was that back in that day, he even knew about this program. And it was a real credible uh, source. Um, and um, yeah, that he had something in the way of a solution um, in addition to the other uh, things that he had recommended. So I'm intensely grateful for that. The other thing that struck me is being under no pressure I am the type of person, if somebody puts pressure on me, I will do exactly the opposite. Um, And there were many people who told me um, that there was something going on with my food and I should do this and I should do that. And I I purposely did the opposite because I was so upset with them. Um, And somebody in this program um, said something to me that was so brilliant. You know, when it comes to sponsees and you know, I'll tell a sponsee to call or do something and they feel, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't do it. Oh, you know, I'm, I, I wasn't able to make that call. Um, you know, the attitude is I am committed to this recovery no matter what. Like there's no pressure for the other person. If you want it, great. If you don't, I'll move on to the next person. Like I am doing what I need to do um, and it's it's up to each person to make that choice. Um, So um, there's no pressure there. And the last thing that struck me is about this really cool skilled technique. You know, first we saw in the paragraphs before that we listen. And then when I do talk, um, it says only talk about what it was like and create this like crisis where it was so bad and tell somebody um, what it was like so they can identify in. Because if a person doesn't recognize that they're a compulsive overeater or that they've got a problem, they don't need the solution. I don't have to worry about talking about the solution. So only give a sketch and say nothing for the moment of how it was accomplished. And that power of example of having somebody stand in front of me who was where I was, did what I did, thought the way I thought, and they're not doing that anymore. That's the most attractive thing, and no convincing is necessary. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Reva P. Larry K., you're up, and then it'll be Melissa C. 
Thanks so much for your service, Monica. It's uh, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, you know, I, I just think of it also from a, from a historical perspective. E- even before we had the 12 steps, that uh, there was a, a bleak November day that Abby, Abby Thatcher, Bill's childhood friend, he thought about Bill, and he, he rang him up. And, and soon he was looking a, across from Bill at his kitchen table in, uh, in New York. And, I, and, and Bill, I've read that Bill says he remembers that, and we, we read about it in the book, big book. You know, and, and, and Abby conveyed things like, I, I found uh, I couldn't run my own life. I had to get honest with myself and somebody else. You know, before the steps, right? I had to make restitution for damage I had done. This is what Abby was telling him. I had to pray to God for guidance and strength even though I wasn't sure there was any God. And this is what Ebby conveyed to Bill, and, and, and he said something else, too. You know, this is one drunk to another drunk, right? That's, that's what we are, right? He said, Bill, it isn't, it isn't a bit like being on the water wagon. He says, you don't fight the desire to drink. You get released from it. And Bill said, I, I thought to himself, and he reflected later, I never had such a feeling before. So that was the sum of what Abby had extracted from the Oxford group back then. And uh, he had transmitted that to Bill. Just simple ideas, not new, but they can hit someone like a ton of bricks. And, you know, today, you know, we understand just why that is, because one alcoholic was talking to another as no one else can. That's, that's what we do in <clears throat> the 12 step. I have to I have to give it away if I'm to retain it. I, I'm not I don't feel pressured in giving it away. I'm detached from whether you get it or not. Really I am, more and more. Some days less than others, but usually I am. I'm pretty well detached from whether you get it. It it really it, it doesn't matter to my recovery whether you get it or not. Now, the compassionate part of me wants you to get it. I always wanted to get it too, but you'll get it when you're ready, if you're ready. But I continue to carry the message, you know, every morning here to the best of my ability. Sometimes you're not so good, sometimes better than others. It's okay. I just keep giving it away. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Melissa C., it's your turn, and then it'll be Suji. Hi. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, you know, I haven't ever worked with anyone through their family. Um, You know, although, like, I've had um, family members of mine, my cousins in particular, um, talk to me about their daughter, you know, a mutual family member. And, um, you know, and they've spoken to me about her struggles with weight. You know, they're talking about the outside part. They haven't shared with me what she's done with food, you know. And so, and the truth is I've only had small windows of opportunities to see her, you know, um, and whenever I have, um, she seems quite happy and comfortable with who she is. You know, I, I if that's just the mask she's putting on, um, cause I don't know her that well. Um, you know, or for all I know, she's just overweight and not a compulsive overeater. So, you know, um, in the meantime, like, well, what can I do? I just live recovered. And, um, you know, um, yesterday on the line, people shared about their children um, being the parent of a child who was struggling with obesity and has this disease. And um, for me, it like somehow it brought me right back because I was that child. 
um, and of parents that meant well. And, you know, um, it gave me like a little glimpse about how they felt. And thank God for this program because it's allowed me to to make incredible peace um, with my parents um, who really just loved me, you know. And um, did they nag? Yes. And it was, it did not work, you know, um, ineffective. And yet, um, you know, incredibly, what was more painful was when they didn't nag. Um, I remember like having been newly married. I was thin when I got married and my parents live in another state. And my husband and I, a few months into being married, went and visited my parents. And I had put on a tremendous amount of weight in a crazy short amount of time. And I remember getting off the plane and my parents greeting us at the airport. And I saw saw my mother's look on her face. She looked shocked and in horror. And I caught them looking to each other. Um, And it still like brings me to tears today. And yet it wasn't enough. Like like that wasn't enough. Um, And so when is it enough? Like we don't know, but I know when someone comes to me and they're depressed, um, I need to listen, not tell them the solution right off the bat. Listen, let them tell me their horror story. Share my own. I'll have time to share the solution. I have to know that they're really desperate first. Um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Suji, it's your turn. Good morning. This is Suji from Michigan, recovered by the grace of God. Um, <clears throat> because of us not really spending much time with the family, I did get to know a couple family members with somebody that was sponsoring a long time ago, but um, only only because he used to hang his head over the computer and say hi to me. And <laughs> But um, first thing I do is because I know that they know about OA or they wouldn't be calling me. They know about vision or they wouldn't be calling me. The vision meeting. They know that we do things by the big book. So I usually try to find out a little bit about their background, about um, if they've been in OA before and that house, you know, do they get any support from their family? Um and if they're, uh, any of their spiritual beliefs, if any. So I know that how to approach them. And um, and I tell them about my background. I don't always give the solution away right away because that'll come up with steps. But I want to find out if they're really interested and I come right out and I'll ask them, are you ready to, do you think you're ready to put the food down? Do you know that you're a compulsive overeater? When we get a little further into the conversation. And uh, I find that to be very helpful. Um, and I, I do lighten up with those who are lighter and I do get more, keep more serious with those that um, are very serious um, and down depressed um, I don't try to oh cheer them up and uh, and act all cheerful with them I had a sponsor that 
that did a very good job of sponsoring me and teaching me what the big book said. So I'm pretty confident in most of the chapters of how to approach and how to how to give um, how to sponsor and how to give away the the step and the program. If it had not been for a good sponsor, good absent sponsor, one in recovery, that I, I don't know. Um, I know it would have made a difference. But um, I do tell them if they're in a good mood. I, I do tell them that you know that some of the things that are in the OA twelve twelve that doesn't come up in a big book about my background and eating things out of the trash and things like that to get them to share about their experiences. With that, I pass. Thank you, Suji. And we are on page 91. We are taking comments on the first three paragraphs on page 91. And who else would like to share this morning? Nancy H. Nancy. Can I Linda okay? R. Linda. There was someone else Knessa, there? Knessa K. Knessa. Mary B. Mary. Anyone else? This is what I've got. Nancy H., Linda R., Knessa K., Mary B. Did I miss someone who had spoken up? Okay. Nancy H., you're up. Okay, good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. I'm Nancy H. from Massachusetts, and I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overreader. Um, I had experience with this before. I was taught by a big book uh, guide how to sponsor. I had a few experiences that weren't the greatest because I thought that I needed to go out there and if I saw somebody that was really overweight to try to help them. And so the first time I did that, it worked out well. I, I prayed to God before I said anything because I was in the waiting room alone with a gentleman who could barely breathe. And so I went over to him and I said, I'd like to leave this brochure with you. And um, I don't mean to insult you or anything. I just wonder if you'd be interested in a program that saved my life. I've lost 110 pounds and I've maintained it and I'm happy, joyous, and free. <laughs> well, he he took on right away. He listened to the whole thing and he said, thank you very much. So I thought that was great. Then the next person, uh, two people came into a waiting room, and they were both, they had to be, I don't know how much they weighed, but they both took up, each one of them took up two chairs. So I was sitting right next to them, and there was hardly no one around. And So I pulled this brochure out of my pocketbook, and I said, I'd just like to tell you there's a solution for losing weight, and I've found it. And I gave it to them, and she kind of like threw it back at me and said, I'm not interested. <laughs> so I learned my lesson that time, and um then I was taught by a, a sponsor. The other thing is I know I had to put myself in the place of where I was at the time when people approached me about it. And the, a person who approached me was a friend from another program, and she was bound and determined I was going to go to a meeting, and I was bound and determined that she was going to get out of my hair. So finally I ended up going to a meeting just to please her so that I could, you know, get her off my back. And I stayed and she left. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, she had, she told me, it, she gave me the answer to my life, really. And I saw this person like 35 years later, and I went over and thanked her for putting me in the program. Because, and she said, oh, you still go to that thing? And I said, oh, yeah, I found another one, too. And, you know, I found a, another meeting that, that's really serious about recovery, and I'm doing well. So anyway, um, I think that I've learned now that I can't just walk up to somebody on the street and say, guess what, here I am with the answer. 
I have to just, now it's easier because people come to me when I announce myself as a sponsor, and I, I always know there's someone to help in this program. And if, I, if not, I call newcomers and, you know, if they need a sponsor or whatever. So there's a much better way of doing it than the way I approached it at the beginning, and I learned a lesson from that, and I'm very grateful. So thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy H. Thank you, Nancy H. Linda R., you're up, and then it'll be Knessa K. Janice, am I up? Linda R., yes, you're up. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Thank you so much for your service. Linda R., recovered in North Carolina. For me, you know, according to this page and chapter we're in, you know, it's a very humbling experience for me to be in this service position to take someone through the steps through the big book. So when I, you know, when someone approaches me, I find it um, – it's got to be collaborative and cooperative. So I really, we do kind of like an interview together just to make sure that, you know, the personalities will fit. The main thing, you know, when working with someone is the commitment and the carrying through, you know, really um, getting to know the person on a very, you know, more of a close level so that I feel that, you know, I can be of, of maximum service to this person. So in the doctor's opinion, I really get to know the person. We really identify the twofold disease and the commitment of the person. Then, you know, as we go through the big book, like for me, I think the biggest um, awakening is more about alcoholism because it's really do we belong in the club? So I'm not trying to convince the person, but what I'm trying to share today is it's got to be a two-way, you know, commitment, two-way street. And we have to relate and identify with each other so that I can have a rapport with the person. Once that's established, then, you know, we can move uh, forward in the steps. Again, for me, it's an honor and a privilege. And thank God today I have a program of depth and weight, you know, and the repetition of taking someone through really um, reinforces my program. And I'm able to really give something, um, you know, back to that person. And, of course, I receive so many more gifts from being in a sponsor sponsor relationship. Thank you for allowing me to share today. Thank you, Linda R. Kanessa K. It's your turn, and then it'll be Mary B. Good morning. This is Kanessa K. from Cincinnati, Ohio. Can I be heard? Yes. Great. Um, if he wishes to talk, let him do so. Really popped out to me this morning. Um, getting frightfully close to being able to put an ED on the end of recover instead of telling you guys recovering. Um, I'm in step nine and I had an absolutely amazing experience recently where I made my hardest and first amends to my sister. And what came out of that was something that I never could have imagined, but she looked at me and she said, you know, Knessa, you're different. You're different now. And she lives in Europe, and I live in Ohio, and I only get to see her once a year. But after the amends, she sat down and she said, can you tell me what you do? And uh, it was one of the most transformative experiences I think I'll ever have because we're in a family of 12-steppers. My brother died of alcoholism 
And at the end of his life, we were walking these steps together, uh, him in relapse and myself in learning. And as I sat and talked with her, I told her a story about my first vision sponsor. And in the quiet of a Sunday night, she said with her sweet New Jersey accent to me, Knessa, it's you. It's you. It's the way you look at things. And I never thought it was me. And I had the experience to be able to sit and talk to my sister, and I got to let her talk about her experience. And um, it's, it's transformative to be able to sit and listen to someone who <laughs> has the same problem you do. And I shared with her a story that I'll share with you this morning. I was sitting in a meeting uh, face-to-face several years ago in Cincinnati, and uh, I'll never forget it. She was in multiple 12-step programs, and she said, if I could drink, eat, shop online, have sex, and she listed two or three other things, if I could do all those things at the same time, that would be a great five minutes. And it was one of the best things she could have ever said in a meeting to me because it is a state of mind. And when I let my sister talk, and I told her about the program, and I started to see the promises come true in my life, I started to walk shoulder to shoulder. And it was just absolutely amazing. And I'm so grateful for this program. I'm so grateful that finally I was heard this morning and I could talk with you guys. And looking forward to seeing you guys in New Jersey. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Kanessa Kay. Mary B., it's your turn. Good morning. This is Mary B., gratefully recovered compulsive eater in Central California. I got to talk fast. I um, want to share a story that is such a great illustration of the fact that I know that I am so powerless. I am so powerless over all of this. I am totally unable to judge or decide who is, who isn't ready, who will or who won't. This is the story of my next door neighbor, a wonderful, wonderful, loving woman I lived next door to for, it was over 40 years at that time, which was about seven years ago. I was traveling and I got a phone call telling me that her beautiful 32-year-old daughter had died suddenly of a disease that um, mostly elderly people uh, die of. Very unexpected, of course. And it was a while before I got home. And when I did get back home, I took one look at her and she had ballooned up. I knew exactly what was going on with her. And for a while after everything settled down, um, my husband kept saying, why don't you talk to her? Why don't you talk to her? Why don't you take her to a meeting? And I didn't. I waited and waited until the day. We spent a lot of time together. And she looked at me and said, I have to do something about this weight. And then I said, okay, I'll take you to a meeting. Never thought she's not going to take to the program. I knew her religious uh, practices and so forth and 
never is she going to take to this program. And then I set about picking the exact right meeting to take her to, a women's gag meeting in a very upscale neighborhood with a lot of very nice ladies. Well, she liked the meeting and wanted to go to another one. Great. Then I, was, I took her to a meeting. I was so worried about taking her to a big, big meeting, almost 100 people. A lot of people would get up and share and didn't exactly watch their language. And I thought this is going to turn her off for sure. That woman, just to make a long story short, has seven years. She's given away 50 pounds. She's maintained it. She gives service at every opportunity. She says, I taught her to do that. But um, I, everything except I did refuse to sponsor her because I, when she asked me, I told her, you're going to get mad at your sponsor sometimes, and I don't want it to be me. So I've just felt too close to her to, to sponsor her, and thank God I did. I don't know. I, I am so grateful. I came to a vision for you three years ago. I was not desperate. I had nine years of abstinence. I was doing everything, sponsored, sponsoring. Uh, my, I was at my goal or below. Um, I'm so grateful that my sponsor didn't refuse to Time. take me through. Thank you, dear. I'll, I'll end with this. To take me through the book the way we do it in vision. Because God only knows where I would be. I was certainly willing. And um, I'm just grateful. I just wanted to share that story this morning. And thank you all for your wonderful shares and the opportunity to share. I pass. Thank you, Mary B. And for those of you that may have come on a little late, we are on page 91, and we are taking comments about with the first three paragraphs on page 91. And who else would like to share this morning? Barbara E. Barbara Amanda R. Amanda. E. Barbara E. I heard you, Barbara E. Naomi gotcha. B. Amanda, and then who else just spoke up? Naomi B. Naomi. Okay. All right. Let's go with that. Barbara E., Amanda, uh, I didn't get your last initial, and Naomi B. Go ahead, Barbara. Uh, thank you so much. I thought you said Barbara R. My bad. I was thinking about the approaching of another person. When I went to doctor's offices, I would take what looks like an OA um, business card. They print them and stick them in all the magazines, the women's magazines, that featured food. I didn't leave brochures around. I didn't approach anyone. If anyone ever comments to me on my size, I always say, well, if you're interested, I go to Overeaters Anonymous, but I don't approach them. If they want to talk and they're very serious about their disease, then I tell them my story of waddling through Italy with washcloths taped to my thighs because my thighs were so big the skin was wearing off. I talk about the foolishness, the dangerousness of leaving my young children asleep during nap time to go and eat food. And if they're in a humorous mood and lighter, I tell them about the time I tried to flush the spaghetti down the toilet 
when my husband came home unexpectedly and I was in the bedroom and the spaghetti vomited up out of the toilet. And that was darn hard to explain how I got to Overeaters Anonymous. A friend of mine, a neighbor, who I I met when I was in a doctor's office, said, I started going to a new program. And I said, what is it? I love starting new programs. And she said, Overeaters Anonymous. And I said, great, I'll go with you sometime. And she said, I'm going tonight. It's Wednesday night in Roseland, New Jersey. I'll pick you up. I was planning on having my last meal like a condemned prisoner. I wasn't thinking in the today. I was thinking in the tomorrow. But I went. The wonderful part is I stayed and waited for the miracle. And then I stayed after it. My friend, my dear friend, went and she didn't stay for the miracle. And to this day, she's still suffering with her disease. I'm so grateful that she took me. I'm so grateful to the people who walked before me and walk alongside me. And I love what was said about finding a sponsee and a sponsor who can be both collaborative and cooperative, and we have the same focus. I hear people saying repeatedly, work the program like your hair's on fire. And then I hear people in the room saying, I wish you a slow recovery. I want to be not only recovered, but recovered happily, focusing on the scale in my kitchen, not the scale in my bathroom, just living, letting live, and praying for guidance, for leaning in. Thank you so much. Looking forward to the 15th. Pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Amanda R. It's your turn, and then I'll be Naomi B. Hello, this is Amanda R. Recovered in Maine. I'm looking at the sentence where it says, um, "Tell them enough of your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak for himself." And it's making me think of this this tendency I can get into when I talk um, to people on the phone and maybe they're newer in in the process or thinking about working the steps, not quite sure, kind of trying to figure out what it involves and what they would have to do. And it's very easy for me to get into this sort of theory talk, to talk about, um, I don't know, the big overarching how this program works in the abstract the trouble with that is people can argue with abstract ideas. They can say that they think it's really kind of over-the-top crazy to give up one's binge foods no matter how far down they are on the ingredient list, that it isn't, that isn't really necessary, that um, you know sometimes it works okay if you don't do that. Um, but they can't, you can't argue with my my own experience. My own experience is I followed this program. I I did that. I gave up my binge foods completely and totally. I lost all the weight. I gained an amazing amount of sanity. Um and that that that's what's happened to me. It it just there's there's no really two ways to argue about it. It just it happened to me, and I was not expecting it, and I didn't think it would happen, and it happened anyway. 
So I guess I'm speaking partly to myself here and partly to anyone else who might fall into that trap of, of sort of abstract theories and say our experiences, our own stories are worth so much more than than me or, or anyone else getting up and and trying to come up with a perfect, logical, convincing argument. It, it's just, this is the way it's happened to me, and I can't deny it. Neither can anybody else. Um, yeah, so that's, that's what I got in my mind this morning. I'll pass. Thank you, Amanda R. Naomi B., it's your turn, and you got three minutes. Thank you. Take Thank us you, out. Monica. Thank you for your service. My name is Naomi B., grateful, recovered, compulsive, every eater outside Philadelphia. If he wishes to talk, let him do so. The other thing that jumps out at me, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. Well, my ears are kind of tuned in to um, when I hear about people that's either thinking about or had bariatric surgery because I had a lap band surgery, and it worked shortly because with a lap band, it's something that um, they put a, a, like a belt around the top of your stomach. And nothing is adjusted in your brain where, where the fat really is. And when I hear about that, I kind of go along those lines because I've experienced it. And even though I had the surgery and I, I developed a horrible infection, which I which rushed me over to the emergency room of the hospital, um, I can relate. And I listen to people and I tell them, well, it's not the solution. Work in these steps reading the big book, this is a solution. My first sponsor had me read five pages of the big book and write a paragraph every day. That was like an assignment. I did that three times from the forwards to page 164. And then thankfully, her sponsor nagged her and told her about vision. And in return, that was the best gift she could have given me. And then I had the opportunity of going to a workshop one wonderful weekend over in Jersey, and I met um, a teacher of the big book that just brought everything to life for me. So because of these experiences of the people that went before me, they enabled me to read the big book, and I received a wonderful sponsor from Vision that took me through the steps uh, in sequential order uh, and, and, and thoroughly explained to me what this book was about. And therefore, I can pass this on to others. But I also can relate to others what they're going through because of my experience, and especially who people are thinking about having the surgery. And there really, really is a solution. And and at the, a doctor is not going to do it. Work in this big book, and following the the description and and all the everything that's said in this big book, that's what does it. And I am so grateful, and I true am happy, joyous, and free, and never expected that of my life after all these years of yo-yo dieting my entire life and never thinking I'd, that God had a crane big enough to get me out of a hoagie. I just didn't think it happened. And I, I am truly happy, joyous, and free due to these wonderful steps and the people that went before me. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Naomi B., and we thank you to everyone. We have come to the end of our time for today, and today's share ID for Friday, September 1st, 2017 is 10,373. 
1-800-273-1073. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Julie R., would you read for us, please, from Vision for You? Hi, this is Julie R., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.